Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt and Meat Eater. Mark is well known in the podcast and whitetail world and has done a lot of traveling over the years to hunt. We discuss hunt planning for the DIY out-of-state whitetail rut hunts in detail, a simple approach to knowing when to sit still and when to move, and branching out to new areas to learn and much more in regards to the whitetail rut. This podcast is brought to you by the Spartan Forge app. It utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic, and state research. The new app will include GPS mapping with incredible aerial imagery, including some leaf-off imagery in areas, and offline dependability, deer prediction, weather updates, journal entries, and much more. Be looking forward to the, so- the Spartan Forge social media app and uh, the Spartan Forge email to be able to see when the app releases, hopefully here this week. So if you want to use the code East Meets West, you can save some money off of the Spartan Forge app at spartanforge.ai. Tethered is a company focused on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. They have mobile hunting gear options for all types of hunters and continue to push the envelope. To more to learn more about tethered and saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. They're creating the best optics for the job, period. For whitetail hunting, I am using the B3 8x30 binos. I am using the RF1 rangefinder. And then for rifle season, I am using the RS2 rifle scope, which is a simple uh, rifle scope that is lightweight, doesn't have all the... The nuts and bolts of the fancy ones just keeps it simple, built tough, and does the job. So if you want to check out uh, Maven Optics, then head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join me on Go Wild today and you get 10 bucks to spend on gear just for setting up your account. You'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards, and you can now see my gear setups underneath my profile, which is just under my name, Bo Martonic. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 10% off of all hunting gear on the website. And I did have a a message that I wanted to share from one of the previous podcast guests, uh, Kenny Kane. Uh, He would reached out to me to share a little bit. Um, about the Hunters Sharing the Harvest program, which is a nonprofit venison donation program unique to the state of Pennsylvania that was founded in 1991. Since 1991, HSH Venison Donation Program has donated uh, a bunch of, they've been donating meat to hunters that are in need. So they're able to give that, that venison, that clean venison to uh, soup kitchens, community centers, churches, 
and directly to families in need. Last year, there was more than 4,000 hunters that donated deer, providing 822,000 meals to people in need. And all of the 67 Pennsylvania counties are active in this program. So specifically from County Generations Forestry, Inc. of Kane, PA, is the McKean County volunteer coordinator of that program. And they're now accepting donations of legally harvested deer for this deer season. So you're not charged a fee for donating there. And the distribution of the processed venison is provided at no cost to those that are in need. So all of those, if you want to donate them specifically in in this area where Kenny is at, then uh, they're located at 26 Paynes Road in Kane, Pennsylvania, and their hours are Monday through Friday, 6:30 a.m. to 5:30 p.m. And also after hours and weekend donations are the most common and are accepted by calling 814-598-0232 to arrange a drop-off time. And if you want to check out, look up Hunters Sharing the Harvest to find ones located in your area if you're in Pennsylvania. I think this is a great cause and wanted to share that on uh, behalf of Kenny to the audience there. So if you have a lot of tags and you have some meat to be able to spare for someone in need, would highly recommend taking advantage of that program. In other news here, so uh, I got bunch of new gear up or apparel up on the website uh, you can check out um, so if you head over um, to eastmeetswesthunt.com slash shop you can see the rut hat i got the mountain bucks hoodie got some new rut stash shirt colors all those things up and uh there and and have a lot of the items back in stock um, some new hats uh other things there the timber cut hat which is a super popular one this year back in stock and ready to ship. So check that out if you would. I donate 3% of the sales of, of these apparel items to the conservation organization at of the quarter, which this quarter just so happens to be the National Deer Association. So check that out and I uh, really appreciate all the support there. And I hope you enjoy this podcast from with Mark Kenyon because we are getting into the best time of the year, in my opinion, for whitetail hunters and i think this episode has a lot of good information packed into it so be patient uh, be resilient and put your time in the tree because now is the time that it can go from zero to 100 at any moment all right we're live mark canyon welcome back to the show hey thank you bill i appreciate it yeah, it's good to good to have you back on. Right, well, we're recording this uh, as the end of summer is kind of rolling, and this won't won't release until a little bit later. But uh, it's about to get pretty hectic. Yes, yes, it is. I'm uh, equal parts excited and terrified by the schedule I have ahead of me. So <laughs> this is the calm before the storm. Yeah, what uh, what, what's the schedule kind of look like? Hmm. Well, uh, here in like 10 days, I leave for Idaho for a work trip and then a whitetail hunt there. And then, uh, so that's the beginning of September and then October will kick off in Michigan and then Virginia and then Arkansas and then Iowa and then Maine and then Nebraska and then Texas and then Wisconsin. (laughs) 
<laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got that stacked full. Is that have you done that many hunts in a year before? Not that many different states, no. This is uh next level. I was going to say, so it's actually pretty pertinent to what we're going to talk about today um, as far as planning of these things. And just from uh, just from listening to you um, for over the years and everything, you and I kind of have a, a similar outlook on things and we like to have things planned out and have things kind of in order. Yeah. So I can understand that you're probably pretty stressed as you're looking at that schedule. Yeah, it's definitely, like I said, terrifying both from the planning and the logistics and then also like just family too like it'll be it'll be challenging and then it'll be just different being away from family as much and that's tough in a different kind of way um but you know it's gonna bring lots of good things too so so i'm excited and you know everything between yeah so before we before we get rolling into that how about uh start telling us what's been going on with you and wired the wired to hunt brand and media and kind of what's been been new because there's been a lot of changes recently and i'd like to hear a little bit about it yeah well in 2018 i guess we I, i merged wired to hunt which was my kind of solo company i'd started back in 2008 I merged that into Meat Eater, which was at that same time growing from just a TV show to a large media network. Um, and I wanted to be a part of that and help build that and transform that into what it is today. So that happened a little over three years ago now. So since that point, Wired to Hunt merged within the wire, or the Meat Eater world. And at that point, was mostly focused on just the podcast. But this year, we kind of are relaunching Wired to Hunt as more than just a podcast. We've added a handful of staff members and different writers and contributors, folks like you, uh, contributing to our website now. And we've got a YouTube channel with educational videos that we're starting to put out every week and new podcasts and and just kind of just, I don't know, pouring rocket fuel on the amount and quality of, of dedicated whitetail content we're putting out there. So so that's what's going on with Wired to Hunt. Uh, and then I'm, I'm hosting filming two different shows this fall, which will eventually be airing uh, all kind of within that world. So yeah, kind of crazy, busy, but, but exciting. I'm, I'm super thankful that Wired Hunt's still here, you know, 13 years or however many years it's been now since I first started it. And yeah. uh, it's taken me places that uh, kind of can't, can't believe. So I'm uh, super, super thankful and excited about it. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. It's, it's cool to see the, the rebrand with it and, you know, kind of, cause I mean, when I, when I first started following along with Wired to Hunt, it was, I, I, well, I found the podcast, but I also remember looking at the blog, like constantly, like I'd be, that was like my, my, what I'd go to in the fall and <laughs> like looking for new articles that were coming out and reading through all that stuff. And it's got yeah. that feel back to it. And yeah, I know I, I enjoy that part to be able to to follow along with it. Yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. And it's funny. I was, uh, I was just at a, a tethered event over the weekend, a teach and train tour. And someone was like, you know, you don't see saddles too much in, you know, on outdoor television and your back 40 show is now on, is it on sports yeah. sportsman? Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, there's like, there, there's a guy on there that was, hunting. I was like, oh, it was Mark, uh, <laughs> that was guy. hunting, yeah, hunting out of the saddle. And, and your name actually had come up, uh, recently I was on, uh, uh, the national deer Alliance, uh, podcast there, the new one yeah. that they had came out with, uh, the coffee and deer podcast. And Nick was yeah. talking about, uh, kind of offline a little bit about like 
remember when he first met you kind of back at the beginning and you were helping out with some of the stuff with those guys there and then how, how it's become a, a, a bigger partnership with the media. Yeah. It's been, that's been awesome. It's great to, you know, one of the big things that really probably the biggest thing that influenced me to, to take that next step and take what I had built solo and merge that with Steve and what meter was is that, you know, our, our hope, and the, the dream we talked about was was having like the, the, the support and the resources and the people to like do bigger, more impactful things um, that I just couldn't do as a, as a one man show and stuff like what we've done with the back 40 and, and giving a buying a property and giving it to the National Deer Association uh, and building stories around that. I mean, I never could have done that with just little on me. So uh, super lucky that that kind of stuff work out and and yeah, able to do some fun things that, that do some good, too. And that's uh I guess I couldn't ask for more than that. Yeah, no, that's it's it's pretty awesome. That the whole back forty project was cool to to watch along with. It's something that I haven't I haven't been really exposed to much as I haven't owned or tried to manage any property of my own, but watching that process kinda has me want they that more of a long term goal for me to to see that side of the the whitetail hunting and overall habitat and and just wildlife management i think it's i think it's pretty cool to see that that concept behind it yeah yeah it's fun you know it's it's um it's cool to get to dive into that and it's one of those things that i like it probably more because that's not the only thing i have to do i'm lucky in that i get to do i can do some like small time management private land stuff and then i can also go and do public land adventures in new states and all that kind of stuff and I, i think i'd be really bummed if i could only do one or the other like for me personally yeah um, I, I love the fact that i get to dabble in both and uh it's i think both have made me better across the way too like because i've had to learn about little properties that i'm trying to improve i've found different things that make me better hunting new states or public land or by permission stuff and vice versa uh so so that's been really cool and what's 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 uh definitely would be a crossover so like when you're working on that property and you, you know you're introducing different plants and you're kind of going through that side of it you're able to recognize those things when you do go to a piece of public and understanding kind of you know some natural browse type things for the deer and and yeah. be way big crossovers as far as as that side of it goes as well yeah that was actually a huge thing for me before the back 40 I was not good at identifying plants. And when I started that project, I realized like I have to figure this stuff out and got to spend time with people who really knew that walking around the property and they're, they're pointing out this thing and that thing and this thing. So yeah, huge change there with what I know and can recognize. And just this past weekend, I was out in Iowa doing some scouting on some by permission stuff. And I'm like, oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. Uh, never would have a couple of years ago. So that's that's kind of a cool thing to see. It's, it's one of those things like it's a goal that I've set for myself to be able to learn more plant species and and also just even tree species. As I'm coming up across things in the woods that deer are, you know, you notice there's like a browse line on some certain things. You see a lot of tracks and some things mowed down. You know, why are they doing that? What is this plant? I've got an app picture this that i don't know if you ever used it just take a picture of the plant or tree species wherever it is it tells you what it is and i start kind of building that catalog in in my mind and and it's it's super helpful to yeah yeah i use one called uh called iNaturalist does the same kind of thing and that that makes a big big difference yeah most definitely 
But anyways, so on on this episode, I really wanted to dive into the planning of some of these out of state trips, or it might even for anybody else, it could be just going to a place that's a couple hours away. Just whatever it is, is planning something where you have say a week to make it happen. You know, for example, like your Iowa hunt during the rut, you have a week to do that. And for the sake of this, this episode, I I don't want to focus on like how you're choosing these areas, all those different things. I want to focus on, you know, where you're going already and how are you building out a plan, um, to, to go forward and hunt on those types of places. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Where do you want to, where do you want to start? So I want to start with, Okay, say you know an area, um, and so give me actually give me a little background on your Iowa hunt here first, and that'll kind of help me plan some of that yeah. those questions. Well, the I guess the farthest back we need to go to understand what I'm doing this year is I hunted Iowa most recently back in 2015, and so prior to that season in 2015, I had done a bunch of e scouting, uh, picking out properties on. Man, I can't remember if Onyx was around back then or if this was pre-Onyx. <coughs> I I think it was with Onyx, but it might have been Plat Maps. I can't remember. But uh, <laughs> it was it would have been 2015, I think. And I got a whole list of addresses of properties that I was interested in and the landowner names. And I went down there one day in the summer, and I think I knocked on 14 doors and ended up getting permission on two different properties that year in 2015. And hunted that year, had a heck of a season, had some really, really close calls, botched an opportunity, um, but learned a lot and had a great hunt come out of it. Um, One of those properties had shown a lot of potential, but also had a lot of hunting pressure on it. So I was, you know, having some great hunts and then having a whole lot of befuddled hunts by guys driving up on four wheelers or coming by and doing all sorts of things. So it was like one of those things where I guess, man, it was great. But then part of me was like, ah, it was miserable. So fast forward now to this year. Um, this is the first year that I was able to draw a tag and kind of had the time in my schedule to, to go again. So this year I was kind of contemplating what my options were and what I wanted to do. And I've got a couple of my really good hunting buddies that live out in this part of Iowa that, uh, that I'm hunting. And so Early this year, they had a couple properties that they had gained access to along with a bunch of other stuff they had. And they said, hey, why don't you just come hunt a couple of these spots with us? Um, we've got other places we can depend on, so join us on this. So there was three properties that I thought I was going to access um, through those connections. Uh, but about two weeks ago, maybe, I, well, this spring I went, did a bunch of scouting, spent a weekend scouting, shed hunting, put up cameras, did all that kind of stuff on those three farms. Fast forward to two weeks, two, uh, a little less than two weeks ago. And my buddy calls me up and says, Hey, you know, long story short, the landowner that owned two of those three places that I was going to hunt got cold feet about having people out there at all and just shut it all down. So all of a sudden two thirds of my main access was gone. Um, so in that situation, it's last minute, I'm supposed to be going to Iowa to scout and prep final things here this weekend. So, uh, I decided that I would try to get back in touch with one of those farmers that I'd worked with or hunted with five, six years ago. So I reached out and this weekend went down there. And fortunately, that landowner who I mentioned where the farm was like some great potential, but tons of other people, uh, I was able to get in touch with them, stop by their house, spent I don't know, almost two hours talking and catching up and stuff. And by the end of it, I had permission to hunt that again. 
Um, and so that's probably where I'm going to spend most of my time, despite the fact that I had a lot of like challenges with other people there. I just know that, especially now, six years later, I know what I'm doing better. Uh, I think I can work my way around that a little more effectively. And, and even as a bumbling idiot six years ago, I almost got it done on a couple of the deer that were in the biggest of my life at that point. So uh, so this year I went back over the last couple of days and walked those properties again. They've actually got a couple pieces that are separated by a little bit of ground. And so I walked that again and kind of spent some time looking at the stuff that I thought might be a little bit more overlooked. Um, my first year there, I focused on the stuff that looked obvious, the stuff that just screamed like, oh, tons of big cover and there's got to be bucks in here and there's connected to all sorts of stuff. And I think since it was obvious to me, it was obvious to everybody else. Uh, but they have some other stuff that they owned that doesn't look like much. Um, but knowing kind of what I know now, I'm pretty confident that during the rut bucks would be traveling through these little draws and drainages and things like that. And my hope is that other people won't be as attracted to that. So um, that's a little bit of backstory as far as where I'm where I'm going this year and, and the experience that I have leading up to the hunt. Yeah, no, that's that's really good information. And it's unfortunate you lost those properties, but hey, at least you got permission back on the other ones and are able to to work around it. You know, so what what does it what does it look like in those places that you're talking about, those little draws and places that don't attract people? Why why is that attracting you now other than, you know, the the hunting pressure hopefully not being there? Yeah, well I think, you know, you've got in this part of the state lots lots of ag big big ag country and then you're going to have anywhere that's flat or high is mostly croplands anything that's low or steep is in cover brushy shrubs and trees and junk like that um so in this particular parcel that i'm talking about it's you know mostly ag but then there's several of these draws that run through it and they're connected so there's several different points within this like imagine a rectangle and imagine the entire rectangle is a big crop field except for a couple lines of cover cutting across and intersecting in a couple places so you've got these long pinch points that then intersect with other long pinch points creating these little funnels of three different lines of movement all coming together so it's the kind of stuff that screams out like concentrated rut activity, bucks that are cruising from place to place looking for does. And I, it, it, it's going to be relatively simple as long as a bunch of other people don't show up and block me on any side of these different things. Um, I, I kind of have seen enough now to know that you don't need the big, fancy, obvious stuff for a buck to want to cruise through it. Um, I'm, I'm confident there's going to be deer moving through here. It's just a matter of, you know, if, if there'll be other people on all those different sides blocking that movement or not. If not, I think it's, it's, it's just going to be kind of rut hunting one-on-one, putting your time, be on these travel corridors. You know, there's deer in the area, you know, there's good deer in the area. Um, be in one of those pinch points and just tough it out and stuff's going to happen. So I'm, I'm going to try to keep it simple. Um, enjoy it, have fun with it. They planted some CRP around that they didn't have in the past. I think that adds a little bit of interesting cover that I think does will be taking advantage of and just giving these bucks one more reason to be cruising downwind and checking those out. Um, so I'm excited about it. The property looks better than I gave it credit for the first time around. And, um, yeah. you know, knock on wood, I know this, I've, I've, I've been burned too many times, so I'm, I'm going to jinx myself by saying this. But knock on wood, after walking it again just a couple days ago, there's no fresh 
other hunter sign. There's no newer tree stands. Uh, everything is like really old that's in there and, um, cross my fingers and toes that it'll be at least relatively, um, you know, relatively unpressured. I, it's unlikely it can be worse than like the stuff I hunt in Michigan. So anyway, it'll be, yeah. it'll be pretty decent. Yeah. And when, when you, when you go into it, like, are you having, all right, like that's your main area you're focusing on, but do you have backup spots, you know, in case you're completely wrong and there's people at every end of those, you know, those cross sections of cover? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, both on that individual property and on the backup property. So on that individual property, I've got like three of these intersections of these draws coming together that just scream dynamite. And, and those are like the obvious spots that assuming there's not a bunch of other guys in there, that's the place that I'm going to be focusing my time and at least as a starting point. Um, if those are plugged up, then I've got even more of these off the wall, little corners of stuff that I've just know that in the rut, you can find these bucks still cruising and checking them out or pulling a doe in there and, and locking down with her. I just think that in this area, any little patch of cover is worth spending a little bit of time on if there's not people there. So I've got those backups to my main spot there. Then there's another farm that this same landowner, uh, has that is where I spent most of my time last time. Um, that I know has a lot of great potential, but also a lot of people. Now I know where most of those people were though. So I've got a handful of spots that I've got kind of picked out in my mind as those overlooked areas on that parcel. And then finally I have one more piece that I'm sharing with a buddy, uh, that I can fall back on if all those go wrong. Finally, <laughs> there's a couple pieces of public land that I've scouted in the past too. So if, if, you know, I'll go through plan A, B, C, D, and I'll just keep on working through options. So I don't think there will be nothing that will find me sitting in my truck with my head in my hands, not knowing what to do. I'll have something to fall back on. Yeah. Now you, you fell in line with that question. I had a feeling you were going to answer it that way. I mean, it's, you know, in in my experience hunting anywhere out of state or any of these hunts, like it doesn't matter even what species or what type of it's public or it's private, you got to have all those backup areas and have them, you know, written down or marked so that you can, you can, when something happens, you're not, you know, in a completely, oh shit moment trying to figure out what to do with, because if you don't have those backup plans, all you're going to do is create anxiety for yourself when you're supposed to be enjoying the experience and just being able to have those, those fallback plans. Yeah. It's really Um, easy to fall into that negative headspace if you don't have those contingencies. Yeah. A 100%. And it's, it's also really easy to find that, you know, one spot that you think is dynamite and get in that headspace that that's the only thing. And you, you, you fine tune on it so much that you don't have when, when things don't work out, you're not able to adapt and, and be able to, to, you know, change on a, on a whim like that. So I think that's, I think that's super, super important. Again, it doesn't matter what you're hunting or where you're hunting those, those, core elements and tactics are I, I think really useful across the board huge huge and it takes time though to to it takes time a to know that you need to do that but then also to have like the level of confidence to know what those next options should look like i, I for a long time i did what you just talked about which was you get your heart set on this one thing like oh this is what's gonna work i got this thing figured out and early on, it was it was a victory for me, you know, if like, oh, I found this thing. This should be great. I did it. Um, but then when that inevitably got screwed up, I was not confident enough, experienced enough to know how to pivot, how to adjust, what else to find. Um, so by nothing else than spending a lot of time trying things out and failing and figuring it out along the way, I've got to the point now where 
I feel pretty darn confident that, you know, rip plan A, and I'm going to, again, you know, knock on wood, but take plan A out of the box <laughs> and, you know, all right, I got it. Toss me in the next place. We can figure it out. And if that doesn't work, toss me in the next place. Um, and I think that just comes from spending a lot of time in the woods and seeing a lot of situations. And then these things just start to, it's like 15 years ago when I first really started trying to figure out how to target older deer and, and get consistent with this kind of thing with a bow. It was like I was walking around the woods wearing really dark tinted sunglasses and everything was just like kind of hard to see and I'm squinting. I'm trying to figure out what the hell is that thing I'm looking at. And every year that tint is reduced and reduced and reduced. I feel like now I'm looking through 2020 clear glasses. I can see stuff and it just pops out now that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, it would have been just another leaf to me or whatever. It's another random piece of scenery. And, and now it's like you're looking at something totally different, like x-ray goggles or something. And, and that's, it's just been time and experience, I think, that gives you that. So, unfortunately, there's no silver bullet easy way to get to those types of epiphanies, I think. Um, but on the flip side, you don't need to be super smart. You don't need to have a lot of money. You don't need to be good looking or great at whatever. If you just put in the time, your yeah. vision, your ability to see this stuff, it, it will get better. Yeah, and it's it's funny because you and I are both lucky in the in the space that we get to talk to hundreds of successful hunters across the board, and, and that's one of the things that you see is so consistent is one they're extremely confident in their spots and what they're going into and their abilities too to recognize spots, but that doesn't come you know doesn't come on day one. That's something that's learned through the experiences like you're talking about. You know, Mark Kenyon in 2015 compared to 2021 is is a completely different hunter and the same you know with myself. Yep. It's uh it's definitely something that's learned over over time, and you gotta. You got to put your time into to even be able to see it, not afraid to fail in some of those situations. Yeah, very, very true. So, okay. All right. So we kind of talked about the, the planning portion of it. Now, when, all right. So I'm not sure exactly, but whatever you get there in November, you're coming into this spot. What's, what's that look like? You pull in with your truck. What, what are you going to do from the, the first time you pull in? Yeah. Uh, so it's a little bit different than what it used to be. Um, for, for a lot of my out of state hunts, I was very big on having a bunch of preset stands in the summer and having all these places that were locked in and ready to go. And I was just going to be, you know, getting there on day one and saying, okay, what's the wind direction? And if it's West, okay, well then I could hunt in stand A, stand B or span, stand E. And that's what it, you did. And you just rotated around your preset stands based on wind. That's what I used to do. Uh, I have changed dramatically as, as a lot of people have over the last five years or so and moved entirely to a mobile kind of run and gun type approach. So I have no preset stands at all on any of these properties. I am 100% operating with my climbing sticks and my saddle. Um, so what I've done in the preseason, both on that spring trip and then on the summer trip is, you know, I've, I've covered ground on foot and matched it up and kind of ground truthed it compared to what I've seen on the digital map. So I digital scouted first, then I went and I went and kind of spent extra time in the places that looked like high potential via the maps. When I was there, I did try to pick, you know, where I found a tree I really liked in one of these obvious areas. I pinned that on my map so that when I come back and I'm thinking about where I want to start, I'm going to have a few spots already pinned that I can go right to on morning one or evening one and, and be a starting point. But I definitely look at these as just starting points. So when I arrive on Halloween night, um, 
hopefully I'll get there early enough that maybe I can do a little drive around and just see where their trucks parked, where their deer feeding out in crop fields, just get an idea based on all that. And then that combined with weather, so wind direction and anything else like that, that's going to give me a clue as to which one of these hot spots that I picked on my maps that I liked will be where I head in for that first morning. I'll get in there that first morning, hit one of those pre-pinned sites, uh, trees, and then that's just like the, the uh, I don't know, like the starter starter's gun goes off, and then from there I'm going to be observing and adjusting. And if I don't see something that first morning that is telling me I need to stick in the same area or that this is worth my time, I'm probably going to pull my set and move around at midday and probably go hang some cameras as I'm moving around if I find something interesting and or head to a couple of the cameras that I put up this summer to check those and then be scouting as I go. So I'm going to be any movement I make is going to be multi-purpose. I will be scouting, I'll be heading to a new area, and then I'll also be potentially either picking up or putting down cameras along the way. Um, and then, you know, scout until I find what I need for an afternoon hunt or move to one of those pre-planned zones of interest and find the spot within the spot. So it's it's so different than what I used to do. I used to have like these hyper-planned situations that I was dependent on this I think there's going to be this exact line of movement because of the terrain and I had a permanent stand and then I was kind of wedded to that. And it was really hard to adjust after that because I put in all this work to put in this nice on hang on. I put up these big ladders and I trimmed out, you know, I spent an hour and a half trimming out trees and stuff. And I think I had like an obligation to that spot. I felt an obligation to those spots because of that work. Uh, but what I found is while there's certainly something super convenient about having places already set up and having lanes cut, I mean, that's great. But also there's the downside that you get stuck in places that maybe aren't just quite right. And I don't have that anymore. So what I found is there's a little more work every morning or every afternoon when you go hang your set, like hanging your sticks in your saddle. Um, But as you know, it's not that much. It's not that bad once you kind of get comfortable with your process. But what I love now is that I go sit that first morning, whatever it is. And if I see that, hey, I'm in a good zone, there's been a lot of activity, but my hunch of where they're going to come through, well, actually, I was off by 30 yards. Um, in the previous world, I would have stuck with my permanent stand and said, well, we'll just hopefully come a little closer. But now 10 30, 11 o'clock, if it dies down a little bit, I'm yanking my set and I'm moving 30 yards. And then I think many times that's the difference between getting a shot and seeing a deer. So I'm just going to make those little adjustments. Sometimes they'll be little, sometimes they'll be big. Um, and just adjust, watch, observe, pull down, adjust again and rotate, you know, as needed. Um, kind of it's it's just that simple and just that complicated i guess <laughs> yeah so have you found when you started like being completely mobile that sometimes you move too quickly or do you find that like that's kind of a learned thing of winning when to stay and when to go do you have any struggles with that definitely that is like that's the trick like that right there yeah. is the rub and i can't say that i've never befuddled befuddled by it i definitely have found times where i'm sitting there going back and forth and back and forth should i move should i stay should i move should i stay um there's definitely no like line in the sand that i can say like oh if it's this then i'm going if it's this i'm staying i don't have that rule set yet it's it's much of it's it's much more of a feel feel it out um get a sense of you know will the conditions be the same will they be changing if i if i saw something that i'm interested in moving a big part of it comes down to understanding why was that deer doing what he was doing. So if I'm sitting somewhere and I see a buck out of range and he moves through, 
there's this temptation to see a buck move throughout a range and then you want to say, okay, I want to move right away and get closer to where that buck came through because either he'll come back or maybe there'll be another buck that comes through, right? That's, that's a thought. Um, well, I want to sit and think about why that happened. If it was an early season hunt and I saw him leave a patch of cover and travel along a certain edge and then go out and feed in the field, it's pretty obvious that, okay, he was, this is a bed to feed pattern. He left that spot. He must've been bedded in there and he traveled right along this transition line and he hung out in this little patch of cover off the edge of the field and made some rubs and you can start seeing, okay, this is why he did that. Um, that might be something that's worth moving on relatively quickly for the next time when he comes back in the morning or the next evening, hopefully as does something similar if the wind and other conditions are the same, that would be something where I feel pretty confident on, Hey, make that move. Uh, on the flip side, it might be during the rut, let's say, like my Iowa hunt. And if I'm sitting in the spot and at 10 o'clock, I see a buck chasing a doe off in the distance and they're running around over there. I see that. And maybe five years ago, I would have said, oh, I saw a buck do something. I got to go get him. Now I'm going to think, okay, why did he do that? And was it random or was it purposeful? Uh, in this case, he's chasing a doe. That can be super random. That buck could just as likely swing past my tree stand five minutes from now chasing that doe. So that's not the kind of movement I'm going to move on. But on the flip side, if that buck was cruising solo with his head in the ground and, you know, passing by a thick patch of cover and sniffing around for does, and then five minutes later I saw a two-year-old do the same thing, now all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, this is the spot these bucks are cruising and they're hitting this particular edge for a particular reason. Someone else is going to do the same thing. I got to get there. Um, so you need to learn to ask why and then read that situation. That, that helps a lot. Yeah, and, and definitely past knowledge of that helps out by being able to identify it, you know. And the rut can be weird because mm -hmm. it's tough to sometimes be able to determine whether something's random or if it is purposeful as far as the the movement goes. And, and that's even like with, with trail cameras too. It can be difficult during that time of year to identify, you know, is this – is this something that's repeatable that, you know, during these dates that this buck's going to come through here next year, or, or is this something that was random because a hot doe happened to come through this area and, you know, he was just on her trail. It's, it can be difficult to read. Yeah. And, and I really had a situation like that, uh, last year in particular on a property where I was kind of chasing my tail, trying to kill this one specific buck. And I was seeing him a lot but just out of range or just some little thing would go wrong. And then I would try to adjust based on that. And I was a little bit over gung ho about chasing him. And I ended up just kind of like running around in circles and he would always be in the other place. Uh, I've certainly been guilty of that in the past. This is something that I've been guilty of. And I was doing it in part because I, I was so convinced as, as we always all talk about, right? Your first sit's the best sit, right? Every time you're in a new tree, you've got a much better chance because you know, these bucks are figuring out as you go. And so I was very, uh, I was very anti sitting the same spot more than once because I wanted to make sure I was surprising this deer and I was convinced that he was super savvy and so on and so forth. But I, after doing that a few times and, and seeing him just rotate through the same stuff that I had just been in the other day or a couple days ago and like one day he, I, I was walking in, I was walked this way roundabout route to get in to not bump anything bedded and there he was bedded right in the field edge of the field of the doe bumped saw me stared right at me with the wind blowing in his face and ran off like oh i'm never gonna see that buck again and then so i made like a big move to try to go somewhere else because i thought oh he's gonna move somewhere else and then he was right there the next day like that kind of stuff so i really yeah. you know what you can absolutely overthink this stuff sometimes and especially during the rut 
when they're a little bit more forgiving of things, when they're a little bit off their A game, sometimes you need to sit it in the, if you've got the right spot, sometimes you do need to give it a day or two or a few sits for that, you know, possibility of him to finally come through. He's going to come through. If you, if you've got that confidence in these places and you have experience or you've dialed in what these kinds of spots look like for the right time of year and for the, your terrain and your region, sometimes you just need to trust that trust your experience and your intuition and give it that time. And so eventually I said, okay, you know what? He's, he's just fired up on does right now. I'm not going to try to outsmart him or me. I know that this spot like tight to the edge of the bedding area is eventually where he's going to come. He's been doing it and I keep on bumping around trying to be super suave. Why don't I just stick with it and wait till he comes to me? And I did. And he did. And uh, the, the bummer is that I missed a shot. I forced a shot at him when he came through because I was so pumped that finally I had this opportunity after chasing him for three years and uh, tried to slip one through a hole and didn't work out. But on the bright side, a month later, I did kill him uh, on the other side of that betting here. So, you know, there's this fine line you got to walk. Sometimes you got to know when to go. Sometimes you got to say, all right, trust it, stick with it, wait. And all that comes back to that experience, knowing when to pull the plug and when not to um it's one of those things that you and i can like say it it's just so hard like in real it life to, like know when that moment is and i still have plenty of days where i sit there in the tree and i'm like ah this or that this or that and you know it's it's something that probably will stick with us for our whole lives to some degree and that's probably yeah. why we love this thing so much right yeah i know it's, it's i i asked that because like that's one of the things i struggle with more than anything is like trying to figure out when do i go when do i stay when am i trusting the you know what what i know about this area versus is it not hot and i need to move and i need to make this adjustment and understand it and i feel like if it's my first year hunting a property i'm more apt to to move than if it then if i have a couple of years of experience into hunting a certain area then i have again some of that firsthand knowledge that i'm able to apply to it like okay i just need to be patient i need to sit here for a few days rather than than jumping around because when i first started saddle hunting i i jumped around too much for the time of year that i was hunting i think it that plays a role in it you know we're, we're talking mostly about the rut here but you know in an earlier season i'm more apt to jump around and hit some different areas and do things than during the rut where i for me personally in the types of areas that i hunt i'm mostly going to sit still for a longer period of time in an area so it's because it's it's tough as far as patterns of any sort um to to figure out during that time frame when it can be you know somewhat random yeah you know one thing that has been helpful to me when kind of having that challenging internal debate. Whenever I find myself hung up and going back and forth and back and forth and should I stay, should I go, what should I do? Uh, if I can catch myself in that moment and then say, okay, bring it back to the basics. Like, let's just like reduce this to the simplest stuff again and, and like spell it out in your head. So I'll like, instead of thinking about should I move to this tree or that tree based on this movement or whatever, I'll just make it stupid simple. And I'll say, okay, all right, why would the, like, what's happening at this spot? And what are the, how likely do I think it is that, you know, a doe and a buck can come through? How likely do I think that this line of movement will bring a deer? How likely do I think that's going to happen? And I'll sit there and just like do some very simple, um, like A and B. Why is he going from there to there? Why is this place going to work with this wind direction? And just kind of map it out in the simplest terms as possible. 
And then I do the same thing for the other place that I'm considering. And I, I very simply break it down. It's almost like, I don't know how to, how to put words to this, but it's almost like before you um, make a meal, and if you were a relatively new chef, and you tried to explain how you were going to bake a dish and all these different things you were going to put, all these different ingredients and how you combine them, and you do this thing for 10 seconds, you bake this thing for 350 degrees for 10 minutes, and yada, yada. If you try to talk all that stuff out or think it all through your head, very confusing. Uh, if instead you were to just take each ingredient out and place it in the proper amount on the table in front of you and just look at it sitting there on the table, it's a lot easier to wrap your head around. And that's kind of what I try to do when I find myself in like a confusing this or that way situation is I try to kind of metaphorically lay out the ingredients on the table in front of me in like in the stupidest, simplest way and look at that in like the obvious way. And then sometimes these things just become like, oh, that's, that's so simple. Or, you know, I always in the rut, at least whenever I find myself just wrapped up in a question and confused with what I'm doing and all overworked up and everything, I just go back to like the, the two foundational things of the rut always and tell myself, okay, does this spot either going to be, is this going to be some kind of travel corridor or pinch point? Like always like that's going to be a surefire thing. If you, if you're lost during the rut, try to find somewhere where movement is concentrated and pinched down when bucks are traveling from bedding area to bedding or whatever. Or option number two, is this a doe hotspot? Is this a doe bedding area or is this a doe feeding area? Uh, is there a reason why there's going to be a bunch of does here because bucks are looking for does? If you want to simplify the rut down to anything, you one of those two things. So anytime I find myself like just flustered, does it check this box? Does it check this box? Is one of these much better than the other? And that always can kind of remind me like, oh, I'm not going to chase random trees over here off a random piece of movement if it's not going to satisfy one of these two things. Um, so that's another like simple filter that I try to pass my, my options through too. Yeah, that's no, that's so helpful is to trying to simplify it and think it through logically in your head because you can definitely drive yourself nuts by overthinking things and what ifs and this and that, but mm -hmm. putting it down, put it out in front of you and being able to make an assessment and then ultimately make a decision that you just kind of go with based off of, off of that. You know, I made a mistake last year where I, I was going in, I was, uh, had my camera guy with me, Justin, and we were walking into a spot and I literally got there and I overthought it and I was like, I don't know, I sat here, you know, a week ago and I haven't been getting much on my camera and I, I moved along and I moved 120 yards on this other side of this, this little stream. And, and what do you know, at nine o'clock in the morning, the buck I was chasing was right there with my tree in the background on my camera, you know, doing this whole show. And yeah. it's, it's one of those things I, I overthought it instead of just going with the plan that I had based off the situation. And yeah, and that's where trail cameras suck sometimes because they, mm -hmm. <laughs> they let you know when you're wrong at times. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can relate to that one for sure. <laughs> so how how does your how do you um change versus like okay, would you hunt that the same way like on your Iowa hunt or one of these other hunts you're going on? Would you hunt it the exact same way as you would like a Michigan piece that you're that you've been hunting for or that it's like in your hometown or one of your home hunting spots? Would you hunt it the same way during the rut? You know, I would be not too terribly different, but I would absolutely be more aggressive in certain situations if it was on the Iowa traveling hunt versus the at-home hunt. Just because I know at the at-home hunt, 
there's likely going to be other chances. Uh, and especially all of my Michigan stuff is like super small things. Like I'm hunting like a 40 acre patch of cover or I'm hunting an 80 acre property, but only like 30 acres of it are huntable. I've got these little fingers and stuff like that. And I know that on all sides on any one of these parcels, there's a whole ton of other guys that know about these deer that are targeting these deer. Um, and you know, it's, it's something where I sometimes run more conservatively on these local places because of that, because I know almost in every situation, all those people are making more of an impact than I am. And so there are times when I will be really aggressive. And then there are times when I'll say, you know what? All right. He won this one, but I'm going to pull out now or I'm going to play it a little bit safer because I know all the neighbors are out here this weekend. Or I know that everybody's out this next three days because of gun season or something like that. And I'm going to pull out and I'm going to let the parcel I have permission on become a little sanctuary. And I'll wait till most of those guys slow down. And then I'll slip back out there the second week of the season or, or gun season or whatever it is and make my aggressive moves again then. So that is very different than what I would do on a traveling hunt. On a traveling yeah. hunt out of state, it's just balls to the wall the whole time. And you're swinging for the fences because you don't have any of the chances. Um, and so... It is a different calculus, but the same basics apply. I'm still hunting places for the same general reasons. I'm still adjusting and reacting to the same kind of sign and behavior. Um, just kind of my throttle would be adjusted depending on, you know, if I could come back and hunt later in November, if I'll be able to go back in December, you know, that's that's going to change things. Yeah, oh, I, that that makes sense. So I, I kind of want to transition to a little bit different. when. When you had uh, mentioned at the beginning some of the places you're going to, it it kind of sparked something in my mind to ask you about it. So, like, um, Arkansas, what type of country are you hunting in Arkansas? Like the big woods, big hills, or like the uh, the Ozarks. Okay. Are you hunting with clay? I am. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, that that I I want to see that area so bad. It's one of those places that I, I feel like it's just... A, looks beautiful from what I've seen in photos and heard yeah. people talk about, like it looks, looks pretty incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see that. It's going to be a very different experience, very different kind of hunting that I've ever done. Um, and that's kind of really the story of my season other than that Iowa hunt and my local stuff. Uh, and then this Idaho early season hunt I'm doing the rest of the season. I'm kind of, uh, I've thrown darts at the map across the entire country and sought out wildly diverse places and people um, that I'm going to go spend time with and, and learn about. Um, you know, something I've always tried to do with with my podcast is try to find ways to relate to as many different people and to be able to showcase and speak to stuff that could be helpful to people, whether they're in Pennsylvania or Michigan or Georgia. And um, while I've tried to do that with our guests and I've tried to learn about different things, it's hard to do it sometimes without having been to those places and experienced those types of hunting. So uh, this year I'm, I'm going far and wide and going to try to actually get some hands-on experience with these really different ways of going about chasing deer and uh, trying to pick the brains of some of the best of the best in those places. Um, so it's going to be a really different kind of season. I'm going to be doing a lot. I'm looking at it as very much like a, like a learning season. I'm doing these trips. Yeah. I'm not really even caring if I kill deer on some of these trips. It's really about – this is like a deep dive master class with a master of this thing. And I'm hoping to get like a college education in a week in that spot. And then hopefully that's something that I can then, you know, help teach other people with. 
Yeah, no, that's that, that's such a good idea because like when you're when you're looking at it, I mean, I know when I start interviewing people that are from that are hunting types of areas that I've never been to, it's hard to ask intelligent questions yeah. and be able to pull things out of it. I feel like they know right off the bat, like right, right he doesn't know what he's, he's talking never. About. <laughs> yeah, he knows. He has no idea. Yes, yes, I've, I've been there. <laughs> are are you uh, are you doing tracking in Maine? I am. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's. That's awesome. When you said that, I was like, man, I, I have, um, we have a mutual friend and Brett joy and uh, Brett was Brett's hunting here in Pennsylvania, um, the end of October and he was out scouting and I was, I met up with him here a couple weeks ago and, and he's been trying to get me to come up to New Hampshire to do some tracking. And he's like, man, you, you gotta do it. We get some tracking snow. Like he's like, come up for three or four days it's an absolute blast i'm jealous of that hunt yeah i'm really excited that's been one that for i don't know three four years i've been saying i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it and it always falls through so finally it's happening and uh it's gonna i mean i'm sure this one and and plenty of others are probably gonna be ball busters like i'm sure i'm gonna struggle i'm gonna be like ah man this is a you know this is tough as heck why don't i just go sit the easy spots or something but um yeah but no it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome i'm gonna learn and uh you know, there's something about, I know you're the same way of this, um, just new experiences, new adventures. I mean, so much of that is, is why I love hunting in the first place. It's not about pulling the trigger. It's about these experiences, you know, trying to figure out new stuff, that whole process, that whole puzzle, putting all that together. Uh, that's what really fires me up. So, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I got a whole lot of tags this year. I don't know how many I'm going to fill, but I know that uh, there's going to be a whole lot of fun puzzles to be put together uh, along the way. And so, uh, yeah. so that I'm confident in. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I mean, I'm like I said, I, I, I'm jealous of the main hunt, the Arkansas hunt, and I want to hunt more of like I want to hunt more of the Appalachian Range all the way up to the Northeast and just like see these places that you know that other people are hunting at and talking about and see if it's you know how much of the things that I've learned are you know similar and apply and how much is different. Yeah. And, and as far as even just reading sign, I mean, you can go. I mean, in Pennsylvania, you can go to eight different parts of the state and sign looks different, you know? Yeah. So like throughout the whole country, it's, it's definitely something that's, um, would be a, a different adventure and just all around experience. So that's, oh, yeah. that's pretty cool. Are you, are you hunting with how blood there? I am. Yep. Oh man, you're, that's, yeah, that's a master <laughs> class right there. Yeah. You're talking college education. You might end up with a master's yeah, coming no, out of that. That's the hope. That's the hope. <laughs> Trying to go right to the source on as much of the stuff as I can. So uh, that's going to be it's gonna be good. Awesome. Well, cool. That's that's all I had for you, Mark. Do you have anything that you think that uh, you'd like to add as far as anything to leave anybody with here at this time for people? kind of looking to to have some adventures their own yeah i mean i think it's it's i guess the one thing i would add to what we just said is that um the simplest solution like the simplest way i mean i'm sure you get this all the time you get so many emails and messages and dms and whatever it is like i've been hunting for 15 years and i've never killed that big buck or i've been hunting for five years i haven't killed a deer yet uh, I don't know, all these different versions. Everyone's trying to find like, what's the quick fix to getting better at this thing. And when it comes to people who have been hunting for a long time, but just haven't like progressed the way they wanted to, there's usually one consistent thing I find with these people and one consistent change they can make that I think would help them. And that most often it's that they've been doing just the same thing. 
they've just been like they've got their spot or their couple spots and they just do the same thing over and over again and they're like oh, i get some pictures and then they don't show up or i do this thing and it kind of works but it doesn't come all the way through or whatever it might be and the simplest way to get out of that and to progress i think is to change up change it up go somewhere new travel to a new part of the state travel to a new state travel to a like we were just describing, to a totally different region, totally different kind of set of circumstances. Even if you know nothing about that area, even if you are completely going in blind, there's no, I, I can't guarantee you anything more than this. You will absolutely come out of that experience a better deer hunter. You will be forced to go through a deer hunting boot camp. When you set foot in a new place that's not like your own back 40 or whatever you've always hunted, you're going to grow. You're going to learn. You're going to make progress. And uh, it's there's not a lot of simple things like that in the hunting world, but that's one of them that just it's it's going to happen. So if you find yourself in that situation and you're struggling, put yourself somewhere new. Learn that new spot. Learn this new area. Learn this new way. And then what's going to happen is not only will you get better eventually at hunting in this new place, but what you learned at that place is going to help you back home too. And it's going to help you take the next trip or whatever it is. That stuff compounds. Um, so that's the single best thing I've ever done to help my deer hunting has been going to new places. Automatically puts your learning on overdrive. And uh, I've just continued trying to do more and more and more of that. Because not only does it make you a better hunter, but as we just talked about, I mean, that's usually the most fun part of it all too. So that's yeah. my final parting words. And then uh, – I'll do a plug if you want me to do a plug too. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I would just say, uh, you know, anyone listening, they should uh, check out what we've got going on with Wired Hunt. A lot of new stuff, like we talked about at the top. Uh, they should read your articles on the Wired Hunt website. They should uh, check out the new podcast episodes, check out the videos. Um, you can search for Wired Hunt anywhere and, and you'll find it. Yeah, and it's pretty cool getting to see Tony Peterson, you know, really being involved in that. Tony's an awesome guy as a person and a hunter. It's it's cool to see him involved and then all the other people that are writing and doing stuff. So definitely I would urge everyone to check him out if you haven't already. So Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yep, no problem. I will see you later, Mark. Sounds good. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.